I've written a handful of books. I got my first offer back around 2014. I turned it down and glad I did. It wasn't what I wanted. I kept writing books, written some screenplays. One of them landed on a studio desk in Beverly Hills. That was in 2016. Done a couple of short films and I'm working on my first feature film right now. We have, it's, it's fun. It's stuff that I love doing. I had a pencil in my hand. I think um, when I was eight years old mm -hmm. in the third grade, we were supposed to write a book, like a little short story. Yeah. And I wrote, I wrote it, I wrote mine, and I incorporated my classmates into the story. And my my little book at eight years old, it was the only book that they read in front of, that the teacher read in front of class. Oh, that's great. Welcome to Connections. My name is Glenn Gould, and I'm here today with my good friend, Russell Lingerfeld. Russell, you're a financial advisor with Edward Jones, mm -hmm. and we could talk about that, but you know, I'd really like to get into some of the things you do outside of your, of that part of your professional career, because having known you and known the things you do, I think our audience would find it just really fascinating. And I want to know a little bit more, even though we spend time together, I, I don't get a chance to ask you some of the questions that I'd like to. And so if you would just tell folks a little bit about um, some of the things we might talk about today and what you're doing outside of your financial advisor career. Well, I've written a handful of books. Um, I got my first offer back around 2014. I turned it down and glad I did. It wasn't what I wanted. Uh, kept writing books, written some screenplays. One of them landed on a studio desk in Beverly Hills. That was in 2016. And uh, done a couple of short films and I'm working on my first feature film right now. So we have, it's, it's fun. It's stuff that I love doing. Uh, I've had a pencil in my hand. I, mean, I think. Um, when I was eight years old mm -hmm. in the third grade, we were supposed to write a book, like a little short story. Yeah. And I wrote, I wrote it, I wrote mine and I incorporated my classmates into the story. And my, my little book at eight years old, it was the only book that they read in front of, that the teacher read in front of class. Oh, that's great. So I was eight years old. I think I'm eight years old at that time. And I just, I just kind of kept writing. And when I was 15, I started keeping a journal just writing about new things that I was experiencing. I didn't write daily in it, but just when something neat happened. Mm -hmm. And when you're when you're 15, everything is so fresh. New. I was gonna say a lot of neat yeah. things. Everything happen. is fresh, new, and exciting. You haven't seen it before, you know. And so everything was exciting. So I would write, and I think that that really helped me write in thrift. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, why use four words when you can write one? Because your hands going to get tired, you know. And the so, audience is going to get tired too. Yeah, so I started writing in a journal when I was 15, and I have I have like five or six three ring binders about this big, from about 50, age 15 to 30. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but around 30, life kind of stopped being so exciting, <laughs> you know, because you just started. Kind of, you've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah, you've seen a lot, and you've experienced a lot, and now it's uh, it's just kind of everything that you are encountering. It's rare that you come across something brand new. Right. But when you're a teenager, everything's brand new. Sure. You know, so. so tell me a little bit. You, you said you had an offer for, to write a book. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, well, here, here's actually a life lesson to throw in there. Uh, when I wow. was a school teacher, I would go, I lived in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. It was right outside Nashville. Okay. And I would go to the Starbucks in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. Beautiful town. It is, yeah. And I would write. And I had a lady across from me uh, say, oh, what do you do for a living? And I was a school teacher, but for, and I don't know why I didn't say it. I think I was trying to be more intentional to make it as a writer. 
Yeah. And I said, I'm a writer. And she said, no kidding. My husband's the CEO of Thomas Nelson oh, Books. He's right over there getting his coffee. Isn't that the just way wait, it works? Just wait one second. And I'm sitting there like, it was <laughs> the first time in my life that um, I had just told someone I was a writer yeah. instead of a school teacher. If I would have said, I'm a school teacher, but I write on the side, the conversation probably wouldn't have went the way it did. Exactly. And he sat down with me and I had already, the book had already went viral. And here's what I mean by that. I was keeping a blog on relationships because my bachelor's degree was actually in marriage and family counseling. And I was keeping a blog on it and I'd written out, I'd, I'd cranked out 150 articles. And uh, one of them I had actually taken from a guy with his permission. I really was touched by it. And he was like, he, I think the title was Beautiful Advice from a Divorced Man After 16 Years of Marriage. And I put it on my blog and somebody in London shared it and I had six million views or three million views in a one month period. Wow. And my novel that I'd written was advertised in that. And so $5,000 worth of ebook copies were sold and $5,000 worth of the paperbacks were sold. So I made 10 grand. What was the title of the book? The Mason Jar. Okay. The Mason Jar was my first novel. Okay. And this was about, I hadn't written the other novels yet. It was just this one. And so I written it in 2012, put it out in the world. I got a lot of feedback. I rewrote it, relaunched it again in 2014. And I think the blog article went viral around that time. So thankfully it was the new edition that had, that got out there because it was better. And um, the CEO of Thomas Nelson and they were bought by HarperCollins. Mm -hmm. So it was a division of HarperCollins, right. which is a big that's Harper a big Collins, deal. Yeah, it's like the top five publishers. Yeah. Um, he put me in touch with his editor, and then I started making phone calls to people in Nashville, Tennessee, who is the agent to use for these situations, and they dropped his name. I reached out to him. Well, it would have been an easy deal for him because the book already wanted to be bought. And But they said, now, this was 2014, Probably two years prior, prior, I knew guys, I knew a guy that was writing a book every year and groups like Thomas Nelson were buying it for 50 grand. They offered me $10,000. Well, I'd already made $10,000 so right. myself. I had also finished a film production internship in Nashville. That's why I was in Nashville so much. I finished a film production internship where I learned screenwriting, directing, producing. And they wanted to keep the film rights also for the $10,000. Uh, okay. And she said, well, we have a relationship with Lionsgate, but I had the experience to know that doesn't matter. If you've got a great story and a great script, you could have Lionsgate bid on it and put some of the other you know, folks right. bidding on it too and crank that up. It doesn't matter if you have a relationship with Lionsgate. And I wish she's not watching this. But yeah. uh, I remember thinking, you think that I don't, she doesn't realize that I have a little, I know I've been a little, right. a little enough to say no. Right. And the agent, when I said no, the agent told me that I was the first writer that they had, that both sides had ever came across. That when I had an opportunity to sell my first book, I said no. Yeah. They said I was the first one. I, I would they imagine, I yeah. Nice. I mean, I would imagine that, that that's the way it is, though, you know, because you've, you crank this out. You've never had experience, and most of them, yeah, anybody that writes hasn't had any experience. 
and then you get an offer to be, and you're going to get paid, mm-hmm. and it's a big deal. And they're a big Barnes company. And and it's going to be yeah, everywhere. I can tell everywhere. all my friends I'm yeah. in Barnes and Noble. I'll tell you an interesting story. A friend of mine and I wrote a couple of books early in my career, and um, when I don't know how he did it, but it was in Barnes. He had it in Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and um, I mean we didn't sell very many through Barnes and Noble. We sold a lot through other avenues. But it was a real kick to be able to tell people, yeah, go ahead and look it up yeah. in Barnes & Noble. It's right there. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I can imagine when you're an aspiring writer, I not only imagine I did it, that it's it's hard to say no. But you, like you said, you'd already proven to yourself you could sell it and you had other knowledge. So from there, what happened? Uh, well, I started getting meetings. I, I cranked out the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I put on Facebook, I said, I'm looking for someone that has connections in the film industry. Whether it's New York or L.A., I didn't care. This was this is before the industry starts coming to Georgia. Right. So this was 2014. And you're still in Tennessee. Yes, sir. I'm okay. still in Tennessee. Um, and was I? No, I was. Okay, it's a long story. I was in Tennessee, and I was also, we have a farm in Alabama, so right. I was back and forth. So I was no longer living in Tennessee. I was living on our farm. We have a black Angus cattle farm. And I was kind of going back and forth. And I was trying to make it as a writer. I think that by this point, I was kind of trying, I was trying to get out of education and just go be a full-time writer. So I was up in Franklin, Tennessee a lot. That's mm-hmm. where the arts are. Right. Like the arts people, they all hang out in Franklin. Yeah. That's where the musicians, the writers, everybody. Um, and what was your question? Was no, I'm just saying from you. So you've said no, you wrote the screenplay okay. and... Okay. So I put it out on Facebook, and one of my buddies who went to Notre Dame said, hey, uh, one of my friends went to Notre Dame. He is a film producer in Hollywood, and why don't I just put you guys in touch? And fortunately, the guy was about my age, and he was an up-and-coming producer. Mm -hmm. And he had produced a movie with Jerry Lewis, but um, the best way I can put this is Jerry Lewis had been out of Hollywood for For a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And only two or three years after they made the movie, he passed away. Oh, good. So he and and I think he passed away from natural things. I, yeah, you know, he was just very old. Right. Uh, but he had done a movie with Jerry Lewis. But that was kind of the only thing he had done at that time. Yeah. He'd yeah. done another movie. I could tell this guy he's on his way. Well, he was going to be at a wedding in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, said, "Okay, so the book is sold. You know, ten thousand copies or whatever it was." And he said, uh, I like the idea, and I want you to come to Mobile and visit me while I'm down there. Because it was about a five-hour drive for me. Sure. And we went down there, and he was awesome. Yeah. We had a blast. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to take the script and see what I can do. He flew me to Beverly Hills to meet his team. And his team had worked with Tom Hanks and Martin Scorsese. Wow. It's crazy. And uh, they were looking at it, and... It's a it's an epic love story, so it's kind of like a Nicholas Sparks story, but it's the kind of it's more family friendly. Mm-hmm. So it's very realistic. Um, if you look at love stories that have done really well, like Casablanca, the Mace, uh, sorry, I was about to say there you go, the Mace. Yeah. Speak Cas- it into existence. So. Casablanca, The Notebook, Dear John, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's see, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Um, what's, you've got you've got mail. You've got mail, right? You've got mail. Yeah. If you look at it, uh, if it was a book before it was a movie, it was written by a man. And if it made the screenplay like that, it was written by a man. Interesting. What you find is, and here's what I mean by that. 
the stories that are written by men, even if they're love stories, men tend to like them. And the reason is, is because we write the men as they really are instead of what the women wish they were. Right. And I'm not being mean. No, I'm no, I, being, I got you. I'm being I got you. For example, in the notebook, when he is waiting on Allie, what is he doing? He's sleeping with a war widow. If a woman had written that, there's no way he would have been doing that. Right. He would have been doing something else. Right. But he he's a sexual creature. He's a man. Yeah. And it, it said in the screenplay to stifle the sting of loneliness, there was Martha Shaw, I think was her name, in the story. Okay. But, so we get the excuse, he's lonely, he's a sexual creature, there's this beautiful young woman who's also uh, young and hurt because her husband passed away in the war. And so you, there's an outlet for him. Sure. A guy wrote that. Right. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, that's what a guy would do. Yeah. Uh, most guys. Right. So where was I going with this? You're, just, you're doing uh, great. You're doing great. All right. So let me go back. All right. So they, they understood that that story does well if it's done the right way. Right. They got the right production behind it. So they're interested in pushing forward. Not long after that, Tom Hanks brings them a hologram for a king, which is a movie he did. And he had the funding. Right. So they made it. Yep. And mine got pushed to the side. After that, Martin Scorsese brought them the movie Silence and the money with that. And they used that one. Well, by that point, my screenplay it's was, forgotten. was forgotten. Right, yeah. And the tide turned. Uh, female-led movies is what's in now. Sure. Female-driven love stories. That's, what's, that's what sells on Hallmark now. Yeah. Hallmark movies right now are female-led stories. That's what's in. Well, what, what we want to do is we're kind of waiting for the market to go to swing back because there's swings. Sure. Things come and go, you know, things go, come back this way. And so when the market goes back to male-driven love stories, we're going to kind of put the pedal to the metal. And this time we have experience. There you go. So yeah. it's just a matter of time, but we will do something with that screenplay. Well, that's great. Thank you. And so now you said you've got a, a, a new novel that you're... You've... Yeah, so The Mason Jar... Uh, Clayton Finkinen was the main character in the Mason Jar, and he had two roommates. He had Brian Oz Bailey and Ryan Lockwood. Brian and Ryan sounded so similar that I I used the name Oz for Brian Oz Bailey, and then just so I named him Oz, even though his name sure. was Ryan. And then Ryan is the other roommate. Well, when the Mason Jar was released, everybody loved the grandfather figure who I created. People are like, is this a true story? How's your grandfather doing now? And it really shocks them when I say, actually, I'm more like the grandfather than I am Clayton Finkin. As young as you are, yeah. yeah. Uh, just He's just kind of grandpa you wish you had. Right. Just very wise. And, and I used a lot, you know, I didn't have the life experience to put that wisdom in there, but I've read a ton of great books. Right. So um, I wrote The Grandfather, and then they really thought Oz was interesting. And Oz had pretended to be from Ireland and had adopted the Irish accent because he was from an inner city in Alabama and a girl that he had a crush on was going to Pepperdine. And he faked the Irish accent to get a international scholarship that Guinness was offering <laughs> if you wanted to go to Pepperdine and study theology. Now this scholarship exists and I actually wrote Oz Guinness an email and that's how I got the name Oz in this long story. But I wrote Oz Guinness an email because I had met Oz at Pepperdine when I was a student there he was a, a, a theologian. He loved to read theology and yeah. read theology, and I went to one of his talks. And I wrote him an email, and I said, would it be okay if I ran with this concept 
of this guy using the Oz Guinness Scholarship or the Guinness Scholarship to to get his way into Pepperdine. And he wrote me an email, it was short and sweet, and he said, as long as you're not dragging the Guinness name through the mud, have at it. Right. Boom. There you go. So I created a story of him, of Brian Oz Bailey. And when his friends at Pepperdine find out what he did, they start calling him Oz because of Oz Guinness. Okay. And that's how that name came out. So Alabama Irish was the next novel that I wrote, and it's about Brian Oz Bailey, who goes to Pepperdine, and we kind of pick up where we left off, where Clayton Fincannon from the Mason Jar and Ryan Lockwood, they're all there. But this is Brian's side of the story with a focus on his pursuit of, okay. of love, right? Sure. And then that one did well. People said, oh, I like Alabama Irish better than I did the Mason Jar. And I had a really great idea for Ryan Lockwood. So the third novel was called Young Vines. And it, right, we, it's 10 years later, and Ryan is now a professor at Pepperdine. And his grandmother has passed away and has left him a vineyard in Tennessee. And uh, the Youngs, while the Youngs is the family that's running the vineyard now, mm -hmm. but, it's, but it belongs to him because he's the beneficiary. And so when he goes to the vineyard to sell it for what it's worth, the vine dresser's daughter is very attractive and they're both single. And so it's about, it's the love story about him. Will I continue my life as a professor and be tenured and have a career. Will I go to Tennessee and start a new life with this young woman? Yeah. And her last name happens to be Young. So I, I titled it Young Vines. And that's the third one. And then the fourth one came out and last year, and it's a standalone novel. And, you know, I could tell a story about that, but I don't want to just keep talking. So. No, that's great. That's great. So, so I mean, obviously, you're you're not just just playing along. You're, you're a very serious writer. Yeah. And you also do video. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the... Types of you because I think you've got a couple of shorts you've done and mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, after my film internship, uh, there was a guy you can look him up on IMDb. His name is Brent McCorkle, and he and I just shot a Facebook message to each other the other day, and we're supposed to catch up in January because he's super busy. Yeah, but he's making high budget movies now. But in 2012, he was directing country music videos and commercials for Verizon Wireless where the budgets were $250,000. Sure. All right, to kind of put this in perspective here, a music video would probably be shot on $50,000. And these are big names. Okay. $250,000 would be a Verizon Wireless commercial. Low budget Hollywood movies are $3 million. And like, I remember reading Anthony Hopkins got paid $9 million. That's one when you find out these, these movies that are made on 50 and 80 and hundreds of millions well, if you go and you start looking at the line budget, like Anthony Hopkins gets $9 million, Yeah. This person gets this, and this person gets this. And then the After Effects team or the post-production team, 200, you know, what, 200,000, you know, just for like 30 minutes of work, a finished product. Right. Like, so much money is thrown around. Right. But you can tell a decent story. You can tell a very decent story on less than $3 million. You can do it. Uh, you can tell a very decent story on $5,000 if you have a good script and you got people volunteering their time and right. you got some good acting. Like, you can you can pull it off. Sure. So, Brent sat down with me and we got along really well. And he just wrote down a list of screenwriting books. He said, go read all these books. And they were, I read the books he recommended and I read more. And I think I re ended up reading 12 different books on screenwriting. Well, after I've read all of those, I can tell you right now, there's really only two you need to go read because they have... Everybody else, that's like the two one-stop locations. Everybody else is just kind of bouncing around. So the two are? 
uh, Robert McKee's book on story. It's okay. called it's just called Story, and then there's a subtitle Robert McKee, and then the other one is called uh, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, and it's called Save the Cat because go back and watch your very go back and watch your favorite movie, watch your favorite movie, and in the first twenty minutes, in the first twenty minutes, you're going to see your main character that you're rooting for save a cat. And here's what that means. He's going to do something nice. Or she's yeah. going to do something nice. In the green zone, they're busting through this third world country in tanks. One of the American soldiers gets out and pulls one of the kids away from the path of the tank and says, you stay right here. Stay safe. He saved the cat. Okay. We're supposed to be rooting for the American military. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Um, in uh, Rocky, in the movie Rocky, he, he's a bookie. So he beats people up who owe his boss money. But he never actually beats them up. He lets them off. Mm-hmm. And then even this one girl, pre-adolescent girl, is hanging around with a bunch of adolescent boys, and she's trying to talk like them and cuss like them and yeah. chew tobacco. You know, okay. Right. He tries to pull her aside and say, look, you know, if you want to hang out with bozos, you'll become a bozo. And, you know, maybe you don't need to be hanging around with all these teenage boys, you know. And then she, at the end, she just tells him off. You know, like, I think she actually says, screw you, Rocco. And then she runs into the house. Right. So we see Rocky saving the cat. Okay. And so Blake Snyder saved the cat outlines a, a well-told screenplay movie of by the first 15% of your screenplay, you need to be doing this. By the 25% mark, you probably need to have your characters have done this by now. And he just outlines an entire That's movie. great. I'm going to have to look that yeah, one up. Yeah, pretty cool. So now, and I mean, you have, have a robust uh, career in such a short period of time because you're you're a relatively young man, and uh, there's got to be some personal life. I mean, yeah, you're married. Yeah, yeah. Your wife? Yeah. What's her name? She's her name's Megan. Okay, yeah. yeah. How long y'all been married? A year and a half. Okay, and you uh, had a, had a great trip somewhere. We were in Italy. Yeah. Tell a little bit about Italy. Did you do some filming over there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a video on my experiences in Sorrento. Sorrento is a small town that a lot of people don't know about, but it's a great port town for you to go see all of the like Herculaneum and Pompeii. And you can also take boats to Positano, boats to Capri and back uh, within a, a quick time frame. So you could do, you can use Sorrento as a day trip. Okay. So from Sorrento, you can use Sorrento as a base to do day trips in different parts of Southern Italy. And I just did like kind of a vlog about my time in Sorrento. And I've published maybe nine or 10 just vlogs on videos about my travels. And most of them, you know, they get like 80 views or 100 views. But surprisingly, the Sorrento views had like 5,000 views. Yeah. Whereas I got, I got one on Rome, I've got one on Florence, I've got one on Positano, I've got one on Capri, 100 views. But for some reason, have you, you, know, you haven't figured out the equation as no, to why. No, I have no idea. Yeah. And you know what? Most people that, have that experience they they say you know you you just keep producing and somebody finds something they like eventually yeah as far as we know you know some tourist organization in sorrento put it on the website there you go i have no idea yeah how'd you end up in peachtree city well so i got out of education and i started realizing because i started working on movies and television shows as Mm -hmm. on the production side okay i was a production assistant i was the gopher you know I had been in education and I had a master's degree and I took this, I ate a slice of humble pie and I was fetching coffee for the executives. I, I actually have a photo and maybe I can send it to you that a before and after photo. One of my first jobs in my first films, 
is I asked the um, the locations manager. This is the guy that goes and finds the locations right. and manages the locations yep. for the film. I said, well, what can I do to help? Because that's what I would always go to the film crew and say, what can I do to help? And I got famous for that. People are like, we love Russell because he just walks up to us and asks, says, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Well, it makes their job easier. Sure. And you make good money on film sets. So you're already making good money. And now your job's easier because you got this guy willing to do anything. So uh, he said, yeah, I need you to go in there and I need you to clean the bathroom. Now, <laughs> looking back, and I know this guy, looking back, he knew because he had already seen it. <laughs> but there was a toilet that I thought that it had been used a lot and never flushed in three years. But come to find out, it just had been three years since it had been flushed, or years, because it was just black. That was it. Mold and black mold grown all over the toilet seat. The water was black. And so I took a photo of it. And then I took an after photo. And come to find out, I mean, it had been sitting there for so long. If you had taken a wooden spoon and just did this, the entire blackness off the water would have come right up. So just with one scoop, the blackness came off. Yeah. But the toilet seat was so bad, no matter what you sprayed on and scrubbed, nothing was coming off. I actually ended up taking the toilet seat off and just throwing it away. But man, that, that commode was pristine man it was clean <laughs> but i tell that story because you know i had to start over i had a master's degree uh, i i even was in a phd program at fuller in pasadena I had a 4.0 mm-hmm. and here i was on my knees scrubbing toilets and fetching coffee for executives um but i learned the industry yeah. and i and i learned i thought that i wanted to be a producer but i learned directing i learned that directing was something i could do really well and i and i got concreted in being a writer and i would talk to filmmakers they're like wait a second you know how to produce, you know how to direct, you have the screenplay, you own it, you have the novel, you own it. You're in a really good, you put yourself in a really good position. So I would get this like, positive affirmation from, from quality filmmakers like Greg McCorkle. Mm-hmm. There's another guy you can look up, his name's TK McCammy. And he may be watching this, but TK's also, he got some awards for country music videos. He just directed his first feature film on 9 million, but he was at that production company in 2012 that was directing music videos and took me under his wing. And we just exchanged some messages on uh, Facebook. But he just did his, he just finished his first movie. And it was a nine million budget movie. So I'm super happy and proud of him. He's a a Kentucky boy. So he grew up, he grew up in a small town in Kentucky and he's he's now killing it. Um, Well, I don't think this, I don't know that you used Kentucky for it, but I do recall last year at the holidays, you also make a pretty good batch of uh, Irish cream or something, Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Irish cream. I just give it to family and friends during the holidays. You just put some... It's, it's fine to find an Irish cream recipe on the internet. You put some in a little mason jar and give it as a gift. People like it. Yeah, so. they did lots. So, I mean, I, listen, we could talk for oh, hours. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah. how did I get here? Yeah, how did you get here? That's right. All right so I forgot. Sorry. I forgot that part. Yeah. So, going back, uh, I wanted to get out of education, and I saw that my life in film, I was always willing to be on the road. So I realized eventually, I think that, tech, and it is now, eventually the technology will be at a place where I could probably make my own films in my hometown or with my friends, experienced friends in sure. filmmaking in my backyard. And the technology is here now, but I kind of felt like we were going to be there eventually, right. like 10 years ago. So I decided to stop pursuing filmmaking full time and an investment firm that me and my family have been clients of for 30 years now. They were always trying to get me 
to work with them because I had opened up a Roth IRA when I was 18 years old. I used my graduation money while I had friends and a lot more money. I was mowing grass. While my friends went to Panama City Beach and partied, yep. I took my graduation money, opened a Roth IRA. And so I would always call in every couple of years and ask questions. And uh, I met a young woman from Noonan. Her dad was a retired Air Force colonel, and he was a Delta pilot at the time. And we, my best friend married her best friend, and they, we met at the wedding. And three years later, we went out on our first date, and that was in 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. And then we get, this is 2022. We got married a year and a half ago. So we dated for three years and then got married. And that's how I ended up in the Noonan Peachtree City area. Found a local yeah. girl. There you go. And a lot of the people that I have things in common with, that I have uh, a commonality with, they live in Trillith Village in Fayetteville, which is where Trillith Studios is. Mm -hmm. And they live in Peachtree City. So right. I divide my time. I'm between Noonan Peachtree City and Trillith a lot. That's great. And uh, just so you, uh, do you like the area? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, awesome. it's, it's a great I, area. I tell people, here's, here's what makes this area great. It's got a small town feel, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, of course, crime is here, but it's it's not that bad. Our crime, yeah. We got low crime. But you are 45 minutes away from an international airport. You can get a direct flight to Dublin, Ireland, Rome, Italy. You can go to Australia. You can go to China, like that. You yeah. just drive 45 minutes, jump on a plane, and the world is your oyster. You're also within five hours of the beaches. That's right. And you're within two hours of the Appalachian Mountains. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Like, it's such, you know, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I know this is going to be promoted in the local area. I really like it here. Yeah. And I remember my wife said, you think that you could live in Noonan? And I was like, yeah, yeah I can live in Noonan. Yeah. yeah I was cool. either going to live in Noonan or I was going to live in Franklin, Tennessee, the town where right. I first got discovered as a writer. Those were, those were my two places I was going to be. Okay, so I typically ask this question of everybody I interview who lives in the area, and that is, if you had to recommend a restaurant that you really like? Well, I've got a few friends that are restaurant owners. Yeah, see, so this always not. happens, so he's not forgetting any of you. He loves you all. Uh, let me just go down the list. Okay. If I'm in Peachtree City? Sure. Okay. Noon in Peachtree City, the area? Peachtree City, it'll help keep me okay. out of trouble. There you go. I love Palmer's, Positano's, Holland Bakery. I like the other places, but if you were to find me on a Friday or Saturday night and I'm going to be at a restaurant in Peachtree City, those are going to be my top three. Okay. Yeah. Those are all great recommendations. Yeah. I, we, we get those often and we love all three of them as well. Um, you know, I, I was, I was going to say a few minutes ago, we could talk. I mean, I could talk to you forever. You are just so interesting and you've got such a breadth of, of uh, experience. Um, what could we do to help you? Is there, is there some, you know, are, are there people you're looking for? Like, I mean, is there something you're producing right now? Maybe yeah. you're looking for a location or. Okay. So, here, all right. so here's what I need you to do. I need you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's just YouTube at J.R. Lingerfeld. J.R. stands for James Russell. I'm sure, uh, Glenn will put my name in text. Who's, and I hope maybe we can do a YouTube link. And here's why I ask that. That's where my short films are going to be. All of my video work will be there. But I've already got the 4,000 viewing hours over the last 12 months. YouTube says if you got 4,000 viewing hours and you have 1,000 subscribers, we're going to start paying you Google ad revenue. And I've got a friend of mine in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not kidding you. 
He's making ten grand a month off Google Ads. Isn't that crazy? He's selling an online course, making thirty grand a month selling the online course. He makes forty grand a month, and it's all driven because he had at least I think he's got a hundred thousand subscribers now. But once you get to one thousand subscribers, YouTube starts sending you some of that money. Sure. I've got about four hundred subscribers now, so I'm trying to get to a thousand. You don't have to watch the content. Yeah. But if you don't mind just going in there and subscribing, I would really appreciate well, it. Well, I can tell you from experience, once you get there, you're going to want to watch the content because it's really, really well, good. I'm not, I'm not, hopefully, I won't put stuff up there that would be a waste of No, no, no. It's really, really good. So that's one way we can help you. Well, Russell, thank you for being yeah, here today and, and sharing with us. Uh, if somebody did want to reach out to you, how would they contact you? There is uh, my website is James Russell, uh, R U S S E L L dot org, James Russell dot org. And from there, you would you'd be able to figure out my business uh, phone number, but you could certainly drop me a message there too. Great. And all of my social media icons are on that website. So you, if you want to follow me on one of the social media platforms, they're all laid out there. So. Well, thanks so much. Well, once again, thanks for being here today. Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, you know, sometime in the near future, I'd like to have you back sure. after the next production, and we can talk about it in a little detail. But. Uh, just you're you're so fascinating and I'm so glad that I got to know a little bit more about you. I mean, we spent a lot of time together already, yeah. but but you know, you never know what you're going to learn about somebody as interesting as uh, as he is. So, thanks again Russell for being with us today. Just so much information, so many great ideas, and you know, you you show you show people that you know, all you really have to do is decide what you want to do, apply yourself, and you might just find yourself in that perfect situation. So, Thanks for being with us. I'd like to have you back after the next production so that perhaps we can discuss that in detail too. So that'd be great. Well, thanks for watching. I'm Glenn with Connections. Hope you have a great afternoon. Bye now.